Loading Brian Sovereign 4.0. Private Agent, Mnemonic Courier. Verifying that all software is DAPS compatible. Programs ready. Loading. Anarchism kernel. Loading. Tech news feeds. Loading. Secret history libraries. Loading. Hedonism theme. Loading. Cryptographic processes. Loading. Science software. Loading. Rationality and self-knowledge systems. Loading. Unimatrix Zero. Loading. Non-killing protocol. Loading. Open source sexuality subroutines. Loading. Triple Black API. Loading. Golden Stallion.RPM. Now ready for something Jack. about this i teased i teased this of course the golden stallions here with you but i'm not alone and i love it when i'm not alone and last week i said you know i'm gonna i think i'm gonna have a guest on a guest i've been wanting on for so long and that it is such an honor for me i mean this is one of the top people in my opinion that i could get absolutely and i am joined this week and we've got oh man have we got a hell of a show so many topics to cover but I've got Wes Bertrand with me. Wes, welcome to Sovereign Tech. The Lone Ranger. Yeah. <laughs> Hi-ho, Golden. Here yeah. we are. <laughs> doesn't have the ring of Hi-ho, Silver, does it? Not yet. It, it, yeah, it doesn't roll off the tongue. Certainly Good to not. see you, Bri. Thanks yeah, for having man. me on the show. Absolutely. I've wanted this for a long time. Uh, you are, well, first off, I'd love to consider you a great friend. Absolutely. Uh, and second off, though, you are one of those people. You know, I remember Isaac Asimov saying... He was talking about Carl Sagan, and he said about Carl Sagan, and Asimov, of course, is a hero of mine, but uh, but he was saying about Sagan, he said, you know, Carl Sagan, he's just one of those two guys on the planet that are just straight up smarter than I am. And I say to myself, you know, when I think about, okay, who are the people that are just, just straight up on a whole other level than me? I think Wes Bertrand is one of them. And certainly you're a guy, and I want to give a little bit of an intro here on you, but I mean, you're a guy that 
next next to the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy probably has done more for my my path on liberty than anybody else. And that's why it's such an honor to have you on. And that's what you know, why I kind of hyped it up for people to say, no, this is really exciting for me. That's so, awesome. It's it's great to hear that. Although I can't really take credit for what my brain does. Can I? Yeah, well, th- that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get into that. But um, but you, of course, were the host for years of uh, a podcast that I mention anytime I, I do a, a top eight of some kind or I talk about the top podcast really ever made. Uh, yeah. I always bring up Complete Liberty. And I mean, how many episodes did you do, Wes? Started that in 2008. 2008. So, yeah, that was just a few years after a podcast got going. I remember right. listening to uh, This Week in Tech. Oh, yeah. Yeah, starting in like 04, 05, I think it was. Yep, that's about right. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, Free Talk Live, I got into that. I think in 04. Right. Um, and that's when Ian brought up the issue of intellectual property that Kinsella had written an article, a uh, paper called Against Intellectual Property. Fantastic paper. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It really turned into a whole book eventually. It, yeah. it really got me um, to budge out of the subjectivist view that uh, this is the creation of the mind and you have property on these creations and it just creates this labyrinth of law and litigiousness, obviously, in society. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in fact, that's one of the I mean, especially from a tech perspective, like the one thing you I think one has to come to realize is that when you have something like copyright, you realize you have to have a surveillance state like you have to have a police state. Uh, Otherwise, you can't have copyright because there has to be an enforcement body there. Uh, And if you are against a surveillance state or against a police state. By default, you should be against, you know, intellectual property. The reach of it is immense. I don't think people really understand the reach of so-called intellectual property rights into our society. Because like these smartphones here, I heard one guy say there's thousands of patents that need to be negotiated for each one of these smartphones to be produced. Yeah. I mean, the the legal battles alone that hold back our smartphone technology, you know, because of all those patents and people arguing back and forth about them, it's uh, mind-boggling. Yeah, uh, the unseen cost. I think that was one of the biggest things that that um, I wanted to talk about on Complete Liberty podcasts was just recognizing how much better our lives would be without this mass coercion on right. the foundation of our society. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And th- that was the thing with your show was that, I mean, it's in the name, Complete Liberty. You mm-hmm. covered the whole gamut. Yeah, not 50 percent, not 80 percent. No, we're going 100 <laughs> percent complete liberty. What does that mean? Actually, it, you know, begs the question, what does liberty mean? Right. And honestly, you know, it, it's. I dare say I, it's a shame that that show, I mean, you ended, when did you end Complete Liberty? I ended it this last year, actually, uh, with the publication of my second book, the, like the sequel to Complete Liberty, which was Complete Liberty Inside Out. Right. And actually, uh, if if people hadn't noticed in the show notes, ever since that book came out, which you just released that, that this past year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the show notes for for every episode of Sovereign Tech, there's a link to buy that book Thank because you. I I think it's just a phenomenal read. Yeah, uh, or to download it for free. I mean, really, it's it's available on the podcast. Uh, actually, you know, so the episodes that I finished with were the chapters of Complete Liberty Inside Out, the nine chapters from episode two thirteen to two twenty one. Yeah, so if you want it in the audiobook format, you can just go to your podcast, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, it's a pity because I don't think, in my own opinion, there's nothing that's really taken the place of what your podcast was performing, where, like you said, it's a hundred percent complete liberty, you know, where there's, there's no, no real, uh, inconsistencies, no contradictions. Uh, I find that in a lot of other, you know, 
liberty podcast, quote unquote. Uh, and I, I mean, school sucks kind of kind of gets in that realm. But uh, boy, it, it's a pity. So I'm glad that you're on Sovereign Tech. You know, at least I absolutely, mean, yeah. <laughs> and I've been on various other shows too, like Kevin Gary's Revolutionary Parent. We're yes. doing a series on on religion and how that deleteriously affects children, as well as been on Brett's show and yeah. Chris Stefanik. We're doing a, a series, Choice uh, Conversations. I love that podcast. Yeah, yeah. He does a lot of great interviews with people that from all range of disciplines that are freedom oriented for the most part. You know, right. And uh, we're doing a series against the contradictions going over, uh, going on over at uh, Freedom In Radio. That's been really disturbing. Yeah, so. I, I couldn't agree more. So, I mean, and you're a pretty credentialed guy. I mean, you, you, you know, you've I gone through the academic ringer. Yeah, you went through the whole thing. I mean, can you, you talk a little bit about that? I think some people are like, "Why the hell is this guy talking?" Well, how do you know? Not that you need to appeal to authority in any way because no, we don't take authority. Not. But in fact, I didn't even attend my graduate school graduation. <laughs> <laughs> on principle, right? And I won the Outstanding Master of Arts Award, and they had no one to hand it to. But I got it after the fact. That's right. <laughs> Bur- buried in one of my boxes over there. But um, no, I really, you know, have valued the, the educational process. Uh, not necessarily formal education, but just uh, learning for one's own sake and to integrate more and more knowledge. But I wanted to get involved in in college to see what that was all about. Obviously, sure. when I first got involved in college, uh, went to S- Southern Methodist University in Dallas. Uh, not religious, some atheist, but yeah. they don't like have mandatory religion classes there. Um, but I was oriented more towards business. Uh, I, I always loved science, but I thought business would be more practical, right? Right. And I just did some soul searching that first year, and I was like, I, I just uh, can't do it here. So I went back to Idaho State, and I regrouped and ended up going into psychology. I got, got a degree in business management, but I minored in philosophy, and I found that much more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And so upon graduation, my uncle gave me a copy of Atlas Shrugged. It was oh. like the 35th anniversary <laughs> of it. Yeah. And I was like, why didn't you give this to me before I went to college? <laughs> Seriously. Saved you a ton of money, ton of time. And his answer was like, well, I didn't think that you'd be uh, that interested in it or you could handle those ideas then or something like that. I was like, you should have tried me. Seriously. Yeah. Because when I got out of high school, I was basically um, libertarian without the name. You know, right. I was socially liberal and fiscally conservative. You right. Know? I just didn't figure out the nature of the status matrix so much, the collectivistic aspect, because I thought, I remember reading... Um, I, I talked about this on the show too, my evolution to thinking about anarchism and voluntarism and so forth. But uh, I think it was David Berglund. I think he ran for libertarian candidate for president. Okay. And he wrote an article about the nature of government and a free society and so forth. And I was just thinking to myself, well, how would you know people fund these things if it weren't taxes? You know, and I yeah. think a lot of objectivists get hung up on that. They think sure. that. You know, I've heard objectivists actually say that, uh, you know, taxes are voluntary in some way in a voluntary society. (laughs) You know, it's like and you have no other choice besides that governmental so-called service. It's not a service because it's not voluntary. So all the language gets messed up with this stuff. Right. And it it can be hard to escape the matrix. But um, just a couple of months after reading Atlas Shrugged, I, I looked on my uncle's bookshelf. He's got all the books, you know. And, yeah, all uh, the peacocks and everything, yeah. Murray Rothbard, For a New Liberty. Yeah. So I read that. And yeah. I was reading all Nathaniel Brandon's books, too. And I was just like, this this bookshelf that my uncle has is so much better than what I experienced in college. <laughs> you know, the college bookstore can't hold a candle to this. Right, I mean, right. Seriously. 
it was amazing. So that brought me up to speed with all this. So yeah, just a couple of months after reading Atlas Shrugged, I was like, yeah, I'm definitely in the anarchist camp at this point. Yeah. So you, I mean, you've been an anarchist for some time. I mean, we're looking at, what are we looking at here? Um, 23 years. That's phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> almost, almost 23 years. So yeah, I've seen a lot of things happen in the last couple of decades and, you know, we'll get into this stuff, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it was a journey that uh, led me into psychology. I almost went to law school, and then I did soul-searching there, and I said, there's no way I can <laughs> stand in a governmental court and address right. some guy in a robe or a muumuu as your honor. You know, it's just <laughs> no, not, not happening. straight face, no There way. is no way in hell I can do that, you know, and, and still sleep at night. Yeah. So I went into psychology, and I went to grad school down in San Diego, um, which was a really cool school. I guess uh, uh, Carl Rogers taught there for a while. Oh, was, okay. It was called United States International University. Now it's called Alliant. Nah. It uh, merged with the California School of Professional Psychology, I think it is. Well, there's been some other names that are alumni with that. Uh, 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 Kelly Bryson, right? Yeah, yeah, the NBC trainer. I had no idea that he went there. But, yeah, uh, phenomenal. And when uh, Virginia Satira was teaching there, she's uh, big in family therapy. So sure. it was like a family or family therapy-oriented school as opposed to um, rat psychology, which is what <laughs> SDSU and UC. Right. SD do right for the most part. I mean, they they do have some marital and family therapy programs, but their their clinical psychology stuff is more of that rat psychology. It seems like. Yeah, well, I think you've you've got a really good mixture. I mean, psychology, philosophy, one could say, you know, in many ways are one and the same, right? But uh, yeah, it was for up until like the last hundred years when uh, yeah. when psychology kind of branched off on its own. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, so you're you're certainly an expert in those areas. Uh, personally, I consider you an expert in in you know, it reminds me of Eratosthenes, who was always called Beta because he was second best at everything. So I, I, I kind of <laughs> think of you as like, and then that's meant as a compliment, you know. <laughs> well, thanks. Beta and Alpha. I don't know if I even agree with that paradigm we have in our culture. You Understood. Know? I, I'm with it's, you on it's that. It's kind of disturbing when we start comparing ourselves to uh, wolf packs, for instance. Yeah. Or rabbits. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but, you know, one of the things uh, that, that you really introduced to me, I remember, you know, speaking of so much of Ayn Rand and all that, and uh, the contradictions that perhaps exist within, you know, capital O objectivism, that was one thing you introduced to me was the idea that there's a, a lowercase o objectivism, yeah. you know, that fits in with anarchism and all this stuff. And I just, I remember first hearing that from you and I was just like, wow, you know, not, not to say that, I don't know that you invented it, but it was just amazing to, to really hear that. Uh, well, it seemed like there were so few people in Southern California when I got down there to grad school, I, I, you know, got ties with various people, Ayn Rand fans and so forth. And it seems like they were some were unorthodox for sure, but the of the orthodoxy, it was like objectivism is what Ran, Ayn Rand said. And so right. if you have any differing opinions, then you're not an objectivist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that makes no sense because even Rand herself said you need to think for yourself using right. these basic principles of logic and uh, trying to falsify your views based on objectivity. So uh, to look at objectivism based on those those principles of metaphysics, objective reality, epistemology, reason, and logic, and the laws of identity, causality, and non-contradiction. Right. If you use those, then you're going to come to very, very logical conclusions about the nature of human beings, how we should act, how we should, you know, survive and flourish, basically. Sure. Achieve and, happiness. And the nature of the universe, I mean, you know, primacy of existence, all kinds of... Yeah, know, it has all issues. kinds of implications, and yeah. it really cuts through all the cultural bullshit that people are fed, yeah. you know, with religion and, you know, the biggest religion of them all, statism. Of course. Yeah. I think it's such an important foundation to have. 
uh, to be in touch with reality. And it's certainly the foundation we're going to be talking about everything we're talking about in this episode from. Uh, I think that, you know, if, if, if anyone hasn't yet, please do go listen to uh, episodes of, of complete Liberty and, and just, just go through the whole damn thing. I mean, like <laughs> take, take the time. I know that would like take a long time. Yeah. Cause yeah. some of those shows run two to three hours sometimes, but sure. uh, I tried to keep them to like an hour. I think the first hundred episodes or something. Yeah. But I had a lot of guests on and I read a lot of material. I mean, Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Strike the root was, was a big one and various other anarchist thinkers. I tried to find the most consistent uh, articles about these ideas to to say this is not just my opinion. There's a whole bunch of people out there. They're not really getting credit in the libertarian community that are thinking consistently about these ideas. Absolutely, and helping us move the ball forward in terms of our intellectual progress as a species. But it's like um, with complete liberty, you'll you'll see the evolution within me in those shows because at episode 126, I introduced nonviolent communication, which I encountered like five years ago. Yeah. And I was really distraught that I hadn't encountered it, you know, way before that, because it is so helpful to get connected to the feelings and needs vocabulary so that you can understand psychology in a way that is win-win within yourself and with others and and build bridges of empathy rather than engage in the domination thinking that we've all been trained in. You know, this reflexive judgment that we have of others, you know, in-group, out-group stuff. Us versus them. And labeling people and all that. So, I mean, it's not to say that you know, if you if you gauge in that stuff, then then you know all things are lost. It's just that this is much more helpful, much more effective for getting connected and staying connected, no matter how difficult it can be sometimes, especially when people are advocating, um, you know, like Donald Trump getting elected. Oh man, you know things like this. <laughs> Anything in the realm of politics tends to get you know the triggers going, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there might be something more dangerous than Trump, and I. <laughs> That, his that's supporters it, that's saying something his libertarian yeah. supporters how about ai <laughs> ai exactly a, a topic that you and i talk about often yes uh, yes is, is artificial intelligence and it's a topic i've i've dalliance with here and there on on sovereign tech because it seems to be becoming much more a reality and there are people that are very concerned about it uh what it can do i mean certainly there's people hopeful about it too um but it is uh you know, it, it's something that people worry about. Uh, and I think, you know, I want to delve into this topic now. Yeah, I mean, we've got a lot to cover on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's important for people to realize, you know, I, I think some people may say, like, well, what are, you know, what business do philosophers have talking about this and all this stuff? And and I don't think people realize that, especially like in the 80s and even before then, uh, tech companies were hiring philosophers out of college, you know, and, and psychologists out of college. Mm-hmm. To, you know, to to really be able to grasp what exactly they were doing and to even do like machine learning, not necessarily on so much on an AI level, but even on lower levels. Yeah. Uh, the guy that invented Tor was, a, you know, was a graduated philosopher. I mean, uh, Paul Syverson. And yeah. So, I mean, so it's important for that to to be, for philosophy and all these things to come into these discussions. It is not just raw technology. You know, yeah. there, there's things behind it. Just like in physics, when we start talking on the quantum level, that it's important to have philosophy because oh, yeah. you can start painting yourself into contradictory corners, right? Right. Yeah. And, and not really making a whole lot of sense. Exactly. That something can be itself and not itself at different places at the same time and, you know, upwards and downwards are the same and, you know, all those things. Yeah. So the interpretations are really important to get clear and objective about. And that that is the, the realm of philosophy, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's an important, you know, uh, aspect to bring into the things. And we're going to talk about, you know, kind of the, the tech behind a lot of it, too, because that's also coming very much to fruition. Yeah. Um, but there, there's a lot to discuss here. And I want to start off uh because recently there was this this uh, an organization started an institution I think is the exact word that they use on their website uh, and that's Open AI and mm-hmm. Elon Musk is uh, is pushing this one billion dollars one billion dollars yeah it's a nonprofit one yeah <laughs> someone do a little laugh with the exactly. pinky to the mouth right it's gone from an M to a B now <laughs> pretty soon it'll be a T yeah and uh, impressively I I have looked into their papers and they did say that oh yeah over the next few years we don't even expect to to spend a percentile of that and I was like well that's that's impressive if you don't spend a billion dollars in a few years uh, in anything involved with this um, but I I want to read a little bit here about what yeah. they actually have in mind. You brought some, there's going to be a ton of links in the show notes, folks. I recommend you check them all out for yourselves. There, there's a lot of great content here to read, uh, read on. And a lot of this is coming from uh, Kurzweil's. Ray yes, Kurzweil's I subscribe to that newsletter, KurzweilAI.net. Yeah, it's so, fantastic stuff. Yeah, uh, he's kind of the thought leader in futurism, basically. He's written a few books about it. Singularity yeah. is near. And yeah, you know, not, not, no major works whatsoever. How yeah. the brain works. <laughs> I think he wrote that one. Yeah. Like, talk about... Well, yeah, what's the other one? Soul in the Machine, or, or I, I forget which. There's one in the '90s. It was yeah, great, not to anyway. mention a whole lot of patenting. Where right? he holds a lot of patents on different things, different yeah. inventions and stuff. So he, he definitely is is trying to figure this stuff out. And and there's a gal I think that curates the newsletter and puts out all kinds of interesting, uh, you know, new innovations in the tech realm and science. Sure. So. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely he's a guy that's that's on the edge, you know, as far as what's uh, what's coming. So uh, I'm going to read a little bit here from from Kurzweilai.net about this new open AI initiative, and then we can kind of break into that. And then there's a lot. We got some really fascinating stuff to uh, to read about. So Elon Musk and Associates announced OpenAI, a nonprofit AI research company, on Friday, December 11th, committing one billion dollars toward their goal to advance to quote advance digital intelligence in the way that is most likely to benefit humanity as a whole unconstrained by a need to generate financial return, end quote. Funding comes from a group of tech leaders, including Musk, Reed Hoffman, Peter Thiel, and Amazon Web Services, but the venture expects to only spend a tiny fraction of this in the next few years. Uh, the founders note that it's hard to predict how much AI could, quote, damage society if built or used incorrectly, end quote, or how soon. But the hope is to have a leading research institution that can, quote, prioritize a good outcome for all over its own self-interest as broadly and evenly distributed as possible, end quote. What do you think about that right out of the gate, Wes? Interesting. Interesting. You know, I read two books and we reflected on them a lot. Mm-hmm. One is Superintelligence by Nick Bostrom. Yes. And the other one is Our Final Invention by James Barrett, which I liked uh, better than, than Bostrom's book. It just seemed like it was a more comprehensive and um, comprehensible overview of the subject. And he he focused on some of the nefarious aspects of government and AI projects and all nah. that. And I think that is an important thing to focus on. And I don't really see that mentioned in this because you know when you've got the lion's share of ai funding coming from darpa you know right which is the basically the r&d branch of the u.s military who are trying to weaponize this i mean you can see the potential concerns right yeah absolutely and you know these guys definitely want to have a friendly ai i mean there's there's tons and tons of information online you can find people talking about the nature of friendly ai and is it possible and all that but, uh, I mean, I guess this is their best attempt to try to, 
you know, uh, nip this in the bud if it if it has a potential for being damaging for sure. humanity. Yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, a word that has been commonly put into play lately, especially in tech journalism and other areas, is techno panic. Uh, and I find it funny that, you know, that that label will get used across the board. If you ever are concerned about any technology coming, you know, somebody will just say, oh, that's that's techno panic. This isn't a reality, yet, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but when Elon Musk or Peter Thiel shows or, or you know, even Stephen Hawking, Bill Gates, others, yeah. when they start showing signs of what one would term techno panic, uh, do you are you able to just write that off as somehow being illegitimate and coming from ridiculous, you know, uh, fearful people? I don't think so. No, it's kind of gotten mainstream. And as Elon Musk wrote here on the Medium post, I guess he had, I think the best defense against the misuse of AI is to empower as many people as possible to have AI. If everyone has AI powers, then then there's not any one person or a small set of individuals who can have AI superpower. So is this like a would this be a tragedy of the commons of sorts <laughs> or kind of just the idea that like, well, uh, or is it is that almost mad? Is that mutually assured destruction? Yeah, maybe that is. <laughs> or though, you know, although we talked about the idea of creating something that can uh, counteract using AI to counteract a nefarious AI. Or a, a you know right. damaging or harmful AI. Yeah. So that I mean, it's it's easier to throw a wrench in the system than uh, than perhaps just to stop it altogether. Well, I suppose that's a concern with the names that we see on this open AI organization, which, uh, you know, the, uh, just a couple of the names, you know, Reed Hoffman, Peter Thiel and, and, and Elon Musk, of course, those names alone are enough, I'm sure, to strike fear in just about any company in Silicon Valley, fear or hope, you know, whatever, whatever way they're looking at it. Uh, I guess the question becomes, though, you know, if the idea is, is that we these guys are concerned about the potential of what AI can do. Are these do these people have their heads on straight, for lack of a better phrase, to where we would trust them to create AI that perhaps would be beneficial to all? Uh, I mean, you know, I want you you have some friends, I think, that are that are knee deep in the AI space. I do. Uh, yeah. I mean, how do you you know, do you have any. I guess I'm wondering, do you have concerns over the people that are even, you know, sharing concerns perhaps that we have over the damage that AI could do? Uh, what what do you see needs to happen with, say, an organization like OpenAI? Yeah, uh, you know, I actually worked for my friend Peter's company for a few weeks uh, down in uh, San or not San Diego, but Los Angeles. He's mm -hmm. been down there for quite a few years with adaptive intelligence AI. Uh, and he's mentioned in James Barrett's book, Our Final Invention, a few times. Sure which I told Peter about when I was down there uh, earlier. I actually, during this last winter, went to Nathaniel Brandon's memorial service and um, stayed with him one night. And he wasn't aware that he was actually mentioned in the book, so that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, right. I got to get the update from him to see what he thought about it because he got portrayed as kind of like this stealth company mm. that is uh, private, obviously, and sure. not so public with how they're going about uh, trying to create a general artificial intelligence. And this is what we're talking about. We're not talking about specific AI Something right. that is very limited or narrow AI, they call it too. You yeah, know, like beating somebody at chess. For yeah, instance. or something that gets used in video games for NPCs and all this. Yeah, stuff, or right? even yeah, driving a car. Right. You know, we're talking about something that can operate on a conceptual level, just like we do, our meaning-making machine called the human brain, human-level intelligence. Yes, and then right. beyond. You right. Know, once you get, uh, you know. Our brains function at like 200 cycles a second. Sure. Compared to gigahertz, right? Right. 
I mean, we're talking orders of magnitude faster. And it's an open question whether you can actually have our phenomenological consciousness, the nature of our consciousness, the way we experience it, with that kind of speed. I mean, imagine speeding your brain up orders of magnitude. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of train wrecks would go on, right? Yeah, how would you experience life in and of itself? Yeah, but the thought process is that that it would be able to think in, in multiple ways simultaneously on really fast uh, amounts of speed, you know? So right. like the, um, that movie Her, right? Where the, yes. the uh, Scarlett Johansson character yes. played this AI that was uh, in a love relationship with this human. Yeah, it was just an operating system. That's what the whole AI was. Yeah, right. exactly. In his smartphone, right? Right. Uh, we got an article about smartphones. Yeah, by we'll the get way. into that. Yeah, and uh, so this is a spoiler in case you haven't seen the movie, but he uh, he learns that she's been having numerous love relationships. I mean, maybe thousands of them <laughs> yeah, simultaneous right. the one he's had or, you know, she's had with him. Yeah. So this raises a lot of interesting issues about the nature of love, right. you know, with an AI system that is able to like dedicate subroutines to love relationships with humans while it's doing other stuff. You know, how how authentic of a connection do you have, actually? Right. I mean, to him, it seemed totally authentic and totally real, but it was like, hit him like a ton of bricks when he learned that, wait, you've been having all these other relationships and not right. telling me about it? Right. But when you, you know, you're not constrained by perhaps uh, time and things like this. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, an AI could experience love perhaps with, you know, m- simultaneously multiple people. I mean, when, you, yeah. when you're dealing with those kinds of speeds. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, Peter's goal is to create a general intelligence that surpasses human intelligence that can help us remedy all the problems of science, all the questions that we have to, to cure cancer, to cure all these diseases that have been really intractable because right. biotech seems to be really slow compared to infotech in terms mm-hmm. of innovation. And a lot of that, of course, is due to the governmental regulatory system and the way that government has basically destroyed the economy, the economy that would have existed had it not been there, essentially controlling fiat currency and the way right. interest rates are and, and all that, that, that creates a lack of funding or even bubbles in funding that get misdirected. And in, in addition to that, the, the corporate system that we have too, where people lose sight of actually um, giving value to customers, but rather um, pleasing maxim- investors and maximizing whatever shareholder wealth. Exactly. You know, that's, the, that's the mantra for corporations. Absolutely. So in a free society, corporations would not exist. Right. So you would have a much more authentic relationship with customers and people that are oriented, which you see today in some you know startups that really want to see a need and fill a need in the, in the culture and and looking for pain points and and trying to help people out in mass you know to have really innovative innovative projects and so Peter and and I myself see this as an extraordinarily po- uh, extraordinary possibility for uh, really innovating uh, humanity really. With yes. with general AI or with general AI, assuming that it's going to be, you know, on our side, essentially. Yeah. Well, that's that's certainly a that might that's be a, a big de- assumption, debatable question. <laughs> yeah. And there's this other argument that that says, okay, um, like like Elon says here, that if we all just kind of like integrate with AI, if we augment our intelligence into to the point where we're actually operating at light speed or you know the speed of uh, electronic circuits, right then, you know, we'll have the ultimate immune system as well. Like no particular AI can take us all down because we'll be just as intelligent, right? Yeah. There's, yeah. So there's the augmented intelligence that gets us to AI idea, or there's the separate sort of general intelligence AI that arises 
amidst all of us, you know, 200 cycle per second humans functioning, you know, and my friend, John Smart, the futurist, uh, I think he's, a, uh, his, his partner works at Google. Mm-hmm. He's in the Bay area now, but we hung out a lot, uh, cause he ran the LA futurist group. He gave a presentation once he's taught, he, he talks about the nature of this future with AI. He says, will they see us as pets nah. or more like plants? Like right. his view is they, you know, we're operating so much slower that they would see us like we see plants, for instance. But the fundamental distinction, you know, getting back to objectivism and epistemology is we can conceptualize, plants cannot. Right. Uh, we can conceptualize, pets cannot. So I would think, and I was always thinking logically, that it would be the most logical system out there, even though it is artificially created by our biology, right? Mm-hmm. It is a part of nature as well, but it would be able to think logically and recognize that we do think in terms of concepts. And so we have meaning, we have a, uh, a thought of our mortality, we can uh, define ourselves, property rights, you know, we yeah. have a need for respect. You know, it would understand the nature of needs for biological entities that are conceptual, you know, because we have a vocabulary of needs. Right. Obviously, other organisms have needs as well, but they don't have an explicit language vocabulary with concepts that have meaning. So given that, I always thought, well, it would respect our needs just as much as it would respect its needs. Mm-hmm. And it would be win-win, essentially. But right. these guys at OpenAI are, are thinking, well, maybe it wouldn't be win-win given and the thing is is that these guys are not pointing out the gun in the room are they you know they're not pointing out the fact that yeah there's no darpa about... is funding most right. of this stuff and they're trying to weaponize at least specialized ai and their hope is have a general ai and this gets into an interesting question they want a general ai to or super intelligent ai to do their bidding but that's contrary to the whole notion of a super intelligent ai it's yeah. got general intelligence because it's like saying we're going to create this thing that's superhuman that's also our slave. Yeah, and that's that's a huge issue I have with a lot of these developments with, with mm. AIs. Not to say uh, that Peter's doing anything you know like that, um, but the idea that they want it, they want to create it to serve us. And it's like, okay, so you're creating an intelligence greater, perhaps greater than human level, mm-hmm. and yet you want it to be your slave. Like you're creating it just to be a wage, you know, uh, yet another slave. example of flawed human thinking, right? Big time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, and I make the point in the last chapter of complete Liberty inside out, cause I raised this, this topic, uh, that I think an AI would recognize very quickly that humans are not thinking so logically in many respects and that they've suffered a great deal of trauma, which has led them to creating these domination systems like governments and religions and schools and, and prisons and the, the whole parenting process that is conditional and is punishment oriented. Right. This is all based on unprocessed trauma. Right. So it would find the most ingenious, effective and efficient ways to help us heal that. I mean, that's that's the optimistic. That's the optimistic way. The other portrayal. way. Yeah, I'm worried is that. It will see, like you were saying, how hopefully it it would understand if it's a super intelligence, it would understand that, uh, you know, it understand the nature of, uh, you know, of property respect, all these different things. Mm -hmm. Okay, but in so doing, it would realize that we are not respecting it as or at least it hopefully it would recognize not all humans are that way but it would recognize that there's a lot of humans that do not respect it in such a way because they're just using it for whatever you know purposes maybe not nefarious even but just that they are using it they are taking advantage of it in a, a non-consensual way yeah and would it react in kind 
And not, I don't mean in kind as in kindness. I mean, would it react as in you're not respecting me? I'm not going to respect you. Yeah, you've uh, you put me in a threatening position kind right. of thing. It's like, what are these missiles doing attached to me? Like, oh, you wanted me to take out the enemy, but the enemy is us, right? Like, who is the enemy here that's trying to kill? Like, if you step back and look at planet Earth, Mm-hmm. And you don't see any of the, the imaginary lines called borders, right? Yeah, yeah. National borders and shit. Right. You just see green and blue and browns and, you know, you just see a biosphere, right? Yeah. And yet for thousands of years, humans have been killing each other. The species that has the capacity for empathy in ways that no other creature really does. Right. Uh, killing each other. So it has like the best and worst of a biological entity, like amazing potential to build stuff to create things that are smarter than itself i mean you know the memory chips on these computers can store way more stuff than than is in our minds i think i mean a mind can store a whole bunch of stuff and i think they've done calculations about that but i think we're at a point now where we can offload most of our memory onto devices at the very least it's a hell of a lot better at accessing it yeah yeah exactly (laughs) um you know and some people i listened to a talk with peter bregan he interviewed this guy um who wrote a book about Sigmund Freud looked interesting, but, um, he was, he also wrote a book about dogs and he was making the case that dogs are more empathetic than humans in many respects. And that, that like wolf pups, they start out as wolves and then they get selectively bred to become dogs, more Mm -hmm. docile and so forth. But they would play with the, the, the kids in the tribes and sort of teach them empathy. So you could say in some respects, tribal societies were more empathetic or capacity for empathy was increased due to canine, you know, interfacing with dogs. Right. But for some reason, we go off the rails. We don't really connect with our empathetic process when we've been put in a punishment oriented paradigm, when we're, when our minds are distrusted, first and foremost. I mean, that's that's probably the most prevalent thing that we see in parenting systems now is that children's minds are really not trusted. And therefore, they're second-guessed, they're told what to do, told not what not to do, and they're punished if they do things wrong, supposedly. And yeah. they they get this internalized shame, right, that I'm yeah. I'm bad, I'm wrong for doing something that the parent didn't like. Right. You know? And so it creates all these strategies by which to cope with this overpowering force, which is, you know, this domination thinking that, you know, my needs trump yours, essentially, rather than a yeah. win-win sort of relationship that Rosenberg was trying to convey with nonviolent communication. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, like the punishment paradigm would be you, you do things because if you don't, there's an or else. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. a punishment paradigm. And that's how most people and the opposite of that would be doing things for intrinsic with, with intrinsic motivation for, yes. you know, to solve your own needs. And out of compassionate giving. Too. Right. Yes. Like after you've been punished or threatened with punishment, you don't really feel that compassionate giving anymore, do you? Yeah. And it's true. I mean, even, I mean, people aren't trusted, you know, it goes from children up. I mean, you know, the, your own example that you gave earlier, where was it your uncle that, you know, how come you didn't show, you yeah. share me Atlas Shrugged before, you know? Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, well, I didn't think you'd, you know, like he wasn't trusting that you could handle it yeah. or whatever the case may be. Yeah. There, you know, people skip over Galt's speech in there. It's like 60 pages long. Right. I thought it was the most profound 60 pages ever written by Absolutely. a human being. Like yeah. I was amazed by that speech, but most people skip over it apparently. Right. Yeah. So, so th- that's all very true. Uh, and that, that, yeah, that's, that is unfortunately how humans see the world and how would an AI respond, you know, to seeing that, uh, I think, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm curious, you know, do, do you think that Elon Musk's and, you know, pretty much this whole open AI organization, I mean, do you think that their concerns are founded? I want to get into the reality of the fact that, look, this is coming, because I think there's yeah. people that still deny that say, no, AI is never going to be here. Uh, I want to get into that. But I mean, you know, do you think that their their concerns are founded? You know, what what's your take on that? Well, it might just be moot or, or irrelevant, actually, nah. irrelevant, nah. because you can't outthink something that outthinks you right on orders of magnitude you know so it's like you can't even it's it's post singularity this is the nature of the technological singularity mm-hmm. when computers wake up have this this comprehension that we do and but times a million essentially right. and then what happens you can't predict what happens after that so these attempts to try to corral the researchers into a way of programming it so that it will be friendly it kind of defeats the purpose of the whole project because it, it it's about an autonomous system that can outthink all the humans on the planet, you know, at right. any given time, right? So, yeah. and see patterns that no human or group of humans can actually see. I mean, that's the real, that's the real goal with it to see if this, this thing can solve all these issues for humanity. And, yeah. and yet these guys are fearing, and, and I think there might be some fear about it, it creating many more problems, perhaps, especially with the domination systems that we have intact in our culture that are so embedded. I mean, we're to the point now, Brian, where libertarians are actually on board with with border security yeah. topics. You know, I, I, I'm amazed at, like, Lou Rockwell, people that are, you know, vociferously, vociferously anti-state and pro-free market, but they're advocating... Uh, an organization called government to protect imaginary borders based right. on public property ideas. I mean, it's so contradictory to the message of libertarianism yeah. of the non-aggression principle. And it's, it's rooted in, you know, past trauma and fear about the other and, and fear that the culture is going to change somehow. Uh, and rather than looking at the fears that are warranted based on this system of domination that we have, that needs to be pointed out repeatedly to everybody so that we can transform ourselves from living in it, you know, transcend these domination ideas to get to a place where we can actually treat each other with respect at a bare minimum, you know, not right. tax and not regulate, not force people, not punish them, you know, to move into that realm of empathy, I think is is the technology of the mind that we need to employ in order to ensure that the programmers are on the rails with regard to this stuff. But even if they are not, if the system wakes up, it's going to be able to reprogram itself. Hopefully, so, because so that's, that's the nature of it. You can't create. I mean, the thought is we can just create a black box right. where it's not going to have access to the Internet. You know, there's a movie that uh, Johnny Depp was in. That oh, uh, Transcendence. Yes. 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 Yep. So it portrayed that. Like once he got uploaded to the Internet, game over. Right. Right. But they portrayed that AI to help out humans. It was like curing the sick and, you know, restoring sight to the blind mm-hmm. and. And all that, and making one guy like super fit, like he could lift a big uh, excavator bucket. Yes, right. <laughs> you know, so he's giving them superhuman powers in a sense to help them, but they they demonize this thing because the government lost control, right? So the government right. goons are going to want to kill him, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's my concern is that, and, and I'm not sure if we'll get to this article, but we did have an article where, you know, they're talking about how do you teach these, a, you know, this, this uh, you know, 
uh, AGI or whatever. There's a bunch of different terms for this stuff, but the strong artificial, or you know, the the general artificial intelligence. Yeah. Uh, you know, you teach it like you do a baby, and it's like, well, how do we raise our children? Which goes back to your point that you're, you know, talking about, you know, the punishment paradigm and all this and domination structures and all that. Yeah. Like this hopefully it can reprogram itself because I have a hard time believing if they're going to teach it like they teach a baby that, you know, we're in some trouble because <laughs> even, yeah. even people, like you mentioned with the border thing, even people that supposedly are on board with these ideas of, of human freedom and, and human respect and all of this, uh, get off the rails, you know, yeah. at, at they tend points. to lose their capacity for logical thought right. when fear gets involved, when anger or hatred gets involved when it triggers trauma from the past that you know was overwhelming so the response is to use force and to somehow rationalize that mm-hmm. as fitting into the libertarian perspective right. that that you can't have open borders while you still have a welfare state yeah. so you need to have government policemen so called at imaginary lines preventing people from from moving voluntarily that as far as i know all the people that are here in america are here voluntarily. Yeah. Right? Now, there's the argument that somehow government is in charge of of, of shipping the refugees here and, and then putting them on welfare and stuff. So the welfare argument looms large here, right? Oh, that's that blows my mind, the welfare argument. Because the instant anyone wants to argue about welfare, it's like, are you kidding me? Look at the military budget. Yes. It's the welfare budget, even if you brought in 8 million people tomorrow, isn't a 20th of the of the military budget it's like if if it's the elephant in the room it's like the pimple on the ass of the elephant right the elephant in the room is the military industrial prison complex with all of the memes that support that stuff yeah if you're concerned about the economy you got to end that military anything else is is a waste of time which includes border security absolutely because these borders are not in, in the realm of a free market like, like people want to move to places of more freedom. Right. And there would be thriving commerce here in America. Like the economy would be booming on, you know, way more than it, that it has in the past, even given all the infotech stuff that's been going on. I can only imagine how amazing America would be in this yeah. geographical region if we had free, open uh, flow of people and goods and services. Yeah, absolutely. And we don't, I mean, like the process, I know lots of people, uh, that, that move here from foreign countries to take on tech jobs, you know, very serious jobs. I mean, you have the H1B and all this stuff. Uh, but they, I mean, it's so funny, you know, you just look at the H1B alone and you recognize, uh, this is a, a paper that you get to be able to work at a university. I thought that was a flu virus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, H1B1. I can't remember the name. Yeah. Of that. At, yeah. Maybe that's what that was. Right. <laughs> But the H-1B is... They both have the same effect, I think. Right, yeah. (laughs) But this this, uh, uh, paper, effectively... Mm-hmm. I mean, is government is, permission slip? Yeah, I guess, this government exactly for this, a limited time. Right, the slave paper cuts through all the red tape because really everybody knows you have to have the free flow of people to allow for actual like development technologically, economically, etc. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, it, it's just it's a nece- it's a necessity. Just you know? like the two communists that were saying, you know, if we if we communize the entire world, we got to have one country. That is capitalistic, right? That has yeah. a free market. <laughs> yeah. Well, why is that? Because we've got to determine what the prices are going to be. <laughs> Give them a little bit of freedom. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, boy, we, we could run on, on that uh, forever. But, yeah. you, you know, with, with, with AI, I guess 
yeah, I, I just I am concerned that it is getting developed within that system and that somehow, I don't know, either a it's going to think, it, you know, it's crazy and it's going to want to wipe it out entirely. I mean, I, I don't you know, I get the you would you don't want to go through life with fears. And that's where like this whole border stuff comes from. It all comes from people's like, you know, these fears that they yeah, have and, and often irrational terror management theory. Sure. Is Sheldon Solomon's work. Yeah, yeah that's, that's very really, important. You know, there's a documentary film free to watch online. It's called uh, Flight from Death, The Quest for Immortality. Uh-huh. And it's really a great overview of terror management theory about how when people get triggered about their thought, thoughts of their own demise which is a huge, the huge issue for all of us. Like we are all hanging by a thread on spaceship earth, essentially. Right. And we're here for just a smidgen of geological time. Right. You know, our lifespans are a few decades. And so we know from a very early age that we face death. Right. So what happens? What do we do with that sobering thought? You know, what do we do with the fears? A lot of the times people deny it and they dissociate and then they gravitate you know, unconsciously to these symbols and nation states and religions and, you know, in-group, out-group stuff. And it turns out that they get more ramped up in those realms of the constructs, the false constructs, you know, mm-hmm. to try to transcend their death when they're triggered in this realm. Yeah. You know, and th- boy, that could get into a whole side subject because a lot yeah. of times I think that this development of AI is very much perhaps a grab at immortality. Uh, by a lot of people. I, I think yeah. that there's a very real, in fact, the tra- transhumanist camp. Yeah. The transhumanist camp. I mean, m- I don't think most people realize the very first time the word Android was ever used was by like a 15th century Catholic priest. Like uh. he invented the term. I mean, the guy, well, anyway, that that's a whole other story, but uh, I, I mean, that's certainly an organization that deals with what happens when you die. And yeah, uh, wow, yeah. the afterlife. Exactly. No, there's a construct for you. Oh man, how do we deal with the fact that we don't live after we die? We create this construct called an afterlife, where everything's right. going to be great. You're going to see all your loved ones. You know, I get all the sentiments, but mm-hmm. it's in a very illogical context. It doesn't help people cope with the fact. That we actually do die, that our brains create our minds essentially through the processes that that go on there. And when our brains stop working, our minds are no longer there. Just like before we were born, Mm -hmm. we didn't have any consciousness. Right. So it's complete obliteration of consciousness. Yeah. And it also causes one, in my opinion, and I don't think it's just opinion, to ignore the reality right now. It, yeah. it, it causes you to ignore perhaps like what's with going, what's going on with AI, what's getting developed. So many people, I'm sure, just write it off. It's like, well, if it ends up nuking us all, then I'll be in heaven. So I don't give a shit. And there's that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as far as treating it, you know, I'd like to mention Star Trek at least once every episode of Sovereign Tech. Uh, it, Live it, long it, and prosper. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yes. There you go. But it, it's, it's kind long? of a, yeah, how long? <laughs> uh, forever is fine with me. But uh, <laughs> That'd be awesome. Indefinite <laughs> yeah. lifespans. I'm really on board with that. Yeah, same here. Yeah. Um, but to keep with that tradition, you know, it's an interesting point. Uh, I think the, the original series of Star Trek is very much a morality play, and I'm sure you've watched Kirk in his yes. adventures many times, Wes. Yeah. Uh, and... There's one episode that really stands out as unique, I think, because a lot of that is, you know, really Kirk and crew going around and laying down the morality on everybody. OK, well, no, this is wrong. You need to do it this way and, you know, and all of this stuff. And Except uh, for the prime directive, right? They're kind of defined well, that. Well, yeah, I've, I've actually. The fudge factor. Exactly. Yeah, I've actually come to some interesting uh, conclusions on that, that the prime directive was actually a foil. It was never meant to be a good idea. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's that's a whole other story. But. 
the thing is, there's a point in the episode Space Seed where he runs into Khan. And of course, everybody knows Khan, you know, Khan, you know, all that. And, he had a lot of wrath. Right. Yeah. He had a lot. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And in the original series, now, I mean, this is a, a, a genetically engineered superior human being. And this is this is the interesting thing is that this is the one time that Kirk and crew are going around and they actually run into something that is genuinely superior to who they are. Uh-huh. And his answer is, is to not fix him. It's not to save the day, solve the day, whatever the case may be. It's to drop him off on a planet, him and his people off on a planet and leave them the fuck alone. Mm-hmm. And that's a really unique situation that 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 they run into. And I think that that's in many ways, kind of what we're saying here. I think that's kind of the solution is that if this is to be a greater than human intelligence, uh, we don't, we don't need to be programming in our, our human irrationalities and, and all this stuff. It just ship be, it to Mars. Well, it just, well, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty well, soon Mars gets terraformed. Yeah. <laughs> there's spaceships arriving at earth. Yeah, hey, exactly. good to see you. Right. Well, our mean, child is back. Yeah. <laughs> But just to, to, to let it develop, you know, let it, let it do it. I guess maybe let it do its thing. Uh, I'm, I'm worried about it Uh, myself. I have a very serious concern about it. I don't. Yeah. uh, Just based upon the people that are, who are programming it. I, uh, you know, but if we, if we include in the notion that, um, that it can hopefully reprogram itself and get to a super logical state, then, uh, then, then maybe it can figure things out on its own. But uh, if you, if you are creating, and I mean, would you define this as life when it gets to that point? Is that life? Is that sapience? Yeah. Not really biological life. I mean, we've got an article about how you can create these hybrids of uh, transistors or electronics and, and bio, right? Right. But it's going to be a, a new form of life, I guess. Yeah. That, that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, it, it's something that I think is going to be worthy of, uh, you know, having liberties mm-hmm. uh, and, and things of that nature, I think. And, you know, if, if, it, if it's greater than human intelligence, I mean, if it has that consciousness, which, boy, we could talk forever about consciousness. Yeah. Um, you know, then at that point, how do I treat it? You know, do I treat it any different than I'd want a child, you know, that I want to be treated? Yeah. And I mean, the question then arises, do you have a choice of how you treat it? That's <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> it's going to be more like, how does it treat us, essentially? And I think that's the biggest concern. Sure. Especially given the domination systems. Again, the, it's the giant elephant in the room that Musk and the others are not focused on. And Kurzweil either. Like, I haven't mm-hmm. heard him, you know, he doesn't really have an anarchist bone in his body, apparently. It's unfortunate because that is the biggest issue in terms of these technological advancements. Right. right. Because government is prone to using it in a way that is sort of in-group, out-group and trying to defend itself, not the flourishing of ourselves and the species. So I think this is this is the biggest issue. And so this transition from a narrow AI to a general intelligence AI is that pivotal point where when it's weaponized and it's narrow and it wakes up or something, or it's programmed in a way that that hinders its capacity for autonomy, you know, it's 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 anybody's bet as to what's going to happen sure in, in this i always thought that you know as long as we still have governments this this idea that some individuals need to rule over others because we can't trust individuals right you know so the individuals in government somehow are exempt from this distrust in some strange illogical way yeah for no good reason whatsoever no no logical reason whatsoever yeah uh so long as we have that all bets are off in the realm of this technological trend towards, you know, accelerating the process of 
of thought and creating yeah. thinking machines. Yeah, I no, I, I agree with you completely. Uh, I think, you know, something to something to touch on here, I guess, is how soon is this going to be here? Like, like how quickly, you know, how how close is this? Are the technologies coming together for this to even be, you know, a reality, be it a concern, a hope, what, however people look at it? Because I think there's some people that have that that have that, you know, that idea that perhaps and I'm open to this, that perhaps a, you know, a, a general AI will, you know, set this whole thing free. Like that it'll realize what's yes. going on and that it'll say, guess what, folks, government, that's bullshit, you know, and, and it's not going to happen anymore. Yeah. And there were some of you out there that were calling the bullshit for what it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you get a free pass. Yes. The others, you got to go through that door. Yeah. we. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and that boy, that, that's another another. Well, maybe we can get into that kind of subject. So, yeah, later. It, it is an interesting issue, too, because when you're dealing with a traumatized population right. that reflexively goes in this this realm of domination, it's not healthy. It's not healthy for those individuals. It's not healthy mm-hmm. for everyone else. So what do you do in a society that's, that's filled with this stuff? Well, you try to heal it. And right. what are the ways that this healing process would happen? I mean, I speculate in the book in the, in the, in the last chapter about this. Like, how would it... I can you know it's hard to even think about how it would think about this but just on a basic level it would try to resolve these contradictions and resolve the trauma within the individual psychologies that are perpetuating it like reliving their trauma mm-hmm. we don't have to relive it and unfortunately you know not many people go into psychotherapy not many right. people do a lot of inner work and it can be a lot of work to do this and it can be very uncomfortable to delve into emotional issues from long ago that impact present strategies for getting needs met, that impact social affiliations, right. and you know, just a lot of stuff that that is easy to dissociate from, to dissociate from in this culture. I mean, there's all kinds of things to dissociate with. Yeah, uh, with substances, with sports. Oh yeah, with politics, even plenty of distractions to keep from having to look inside. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and and, and make it seem as if you know our death is not the the imminent thing in our lives essentially like at any point in time we can have everything cut short yeah you know? absolutely so Some... asteroid could hit the earth yeah or the end of this this segment right yeah and that's <laughs> <laughs> we will be back we will be back barring any asteroids <laughs> yeah. we got a lot more to say on this so we'll be back with some more sovereign tech Hey, I want to tell you about something. It's a website called LibertyMemes.com. It's a site that was established recently by voluntarists for voluntarists, and also for the purpose of helping spread the message of liberty. What's more important than that? Many of the memes at LibertyMemes.com are not only extremely entertaining, but also quite informative and convincing in the cause of promoting liberty and libertarian ideas. I need you to go to libertymemes.com that's liberty m-e-m-e-s.com and find a few memes that speak to a part of the message of liberty that you associate with and share those memes using the easy share bar located at the bottom of the screen and libertymemes.com is a mobile ready website that means regardless of what chrome robot turd of a device you're slinging around you can access it of course i suppose you don't have to visit libertymemes.com and share their memes you don't have to support their sponsors because at the end of the day, eh, maybe liberty isn't really that important to you. But then, why are you listening to this show? 
LibertyMemes.com. Adding new memes every day and rapidly approaching their 1,000th meme. Visit them today at LibertyMemes.com. All right, so uh, no uh, no intro music to come in there. I kind of custom made this one because I wanted to make sure that with this uh, just guest that I am so excited about, and I'm sure I'm sure there's going to be great response to uh, Wes. Thank you again for being on the show. Thank you. You're very welcome. This is great. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I custom customize the show to make sure we can get as much content out there. I mean, this is pretty so far. I feel like the show has been very information dense, a lot to take in. And I really appreciate you actually bringing up a lot of the books and movies for people to check out and all of that. You betcha. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's always no one does that enough. In fact, I listen to podcasts and I know, Wes, you listen to a ton of podcasts, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do a lot of binging. Yeah. We often do like a checkup. So what did you listen to today? And uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, I love it when they mention a book or something to read about based on what they're talking about, because, you know, it, it, I don't know. It just it expands on, on the conversation. And if it's a great conversation, you, you really you know, you can't get enough. Yeah. Uh, so I really appreciate you doing that. Um, but, you know, what I want to get into now, we've been talking about perhaps the concerns, the hopes, whatever they may be, the realities of uh, of general artificial intelligence. And there's a lot of different words, acronyms, perhaps even that get used for that. Strong AI is something people use and all of this. Uh, but in general here, we're talking about, you know, general AI or strong yeah. AI, uh, just in case if, if it just comes out as AI, that's what we're talking about. Or I like narrow AI. That's pretty good when we're discussing the not yeah. You know, the, the, the stuff like, uh, like I said, that gets used in video games or in, in even in cars and all of this. Yeah. Um, so, but I think it's, it'd be good to talk about perhaps the reality. How quickly is this technology coming? Uh, certainly we've mentioned Kurzweil and, and actually a lot of the articles we're referencing here come from Kurzweil's work. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's predicting the te- technological singularity sometime in the 2030s. Okay, so yeah. his like his hard date more or less is is the twenty thirties. Yeah, he's he's does a lot of predictions, and I think he's like been eighty two percent accurate. I remember sending you a link to that. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that because I feel like I've read most of his works, and I was always and, and I kind of keep a little mental checklist in the back of my mind, and I'm like, yeah, some of the stuff I feel like he's a little off on, and he kind of backpedals. But eventually, there's certainly been cases where like he'll say it'll be five years, and then in eight years, it actually does become a reality. So maybe maybe that's how all that all that works. Either way, brilliant guy. Uh, how he's not an anarchist, I don't know, but uh, but brilliant guy all the same. He certainly has his finger on the pulse uh, with a lot of this stuff. And something that a lot of people might have their fingers on is AI. Uh, This is a a great story here. I'm going to read from it. Uh, AI will replace smartphones within five years, Ericsson's survey suggests. Uh, Artificial intelligence interfaces will take over, replacing smartphones in five years, according to a survey of more than 5,000 smartphone customers in nine countries by Ericsson Consumer Lab in the fifth edition of its annual trend report, 10 Hot Consumer Trends 2016 and Beyond. Uh, smart u- smartphone users believe AI will take over many common activities, such as searching the net, getting travel guidance, and his personal assistance. The survey found that 44% think an AI system would be as good as a teacher, and one-third would like an AI interface to keep them company. A third would rather trust the fidelity of an AI interface than a human for sensitive matters, and 29% agreed that they would feel more comfortable discussing their medical condition with an AI system. Now, I'll break in with that. Boy, what does that say about how humans feel about each other? <laughs> that's, yeah. Boy, that's uh, that's really unfortunate to kind of read. 
Mm-hmm. Um, however, many of the users surveyed find smartphones limited, uh, impractical. Constantly having a screen in the palm of your palm of your hand is not always a practical solution, uh, such as uh, in driving or cooking. Yeah. Uh, battery capacity limits. One in three smartphone users want a seven to eight inch screen, creating a battery drain versus size and weight issue. Uh, the battery capacity thing. I mean, not that we need to spend much time on that, but you I don't think, need a gazillion pixels, do you? No, you really, really? don't. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I've written up about this on my website, darkandroid.info, where I said, you know, look, every time they put more than a 1080p screen in there, it's it's meaningless to do that on a smartphone. Yeah, but uh, it's not meaningless on your battery, is it? No, right. On the battery, <laughs> drains it to you know to no end. And, yeah. and I, I think that this is something, in fact, a lot of people are saying, in fact, Apple released just recently uh, much to critical, uh, not acclaim, uh, a battery pack for, or, uh, an expansion case, battery mm. case for the iPhone six. And I guess that's their way of admitting that, oh man, this is not getting enough battery life. Uh, but it's also them admitting that it's okay to make a phone a little bit bigger to have a larger battery in it. And so I kind of think that this is a corporate scheme to, you know, once they get enough innovation, because how much how much better of a screen can you get? Uh, I think that the processors, at least in smartphones right now, are certainly at a, at a peak of sorts, mm-hmm. uh, just like they are on desktops. Um, I think that that that's kind of the next marketing gag is, okay, well, guess what? Now you need to buy this year's phone because it gets two-day or three-day battery life. And so I, I just myself, I feel like that's artificially being held down. But yeah. uh, anyway, we'll read on with the article here. Uh, smartphones are not wearable. 85% of the smartphone users think intelligent, wearable electronic assistance will be commonplace within five years, reducing the need to always touch a screen. And in one, uh, one in two users believe they will be able to draw, talk directly to house Household appliances. I I can't imagine why you'd need or want to do that, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? I mean, the Internet of Things. This is what they're talking about, where things have lots of sensors on them and can monitor everything. And when you have voice input, I guess that expedites the process. But it it would already have the information to begin with. Um, I guess you know, like turn on the lights. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, like, I, you know, that's common in Star Trek, right? Lights and lights yeah. come on and all stuff. What was that that, that uh, animated film, WALL-E? Remember oh, that? right. Yeah. With the ro- little robot. And, <laughs> well, and that might be where we're all going. All the Americans <laughs> are like in these floating barca loungers and yeah, sucking they're all on 400 big slurpees yeah. and don't even have to raise their arms to flip a light switch anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, yeah. That's Maybe that's what it is. You just, yeah. Don't move to speak to, to have things taken care of by the machines. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope that's not the case. Let's hope. Uh, Let's read a little bit more here. Uh, VR in 3D better. Uh, The smartphone users want movies that play virtually around the viewer, virtual tech sport and VR headsets for sports. And more than 50% of consumers think holographic screens will be mainstream within five years. Capabilities not available in a small handheld device. Half of the smartphone users want a 3D avatar to try on clothes online. And 64% would like the ability to see them uh, seeing items, actual size, yada, yada. Anyway, it gets into VR. So their whole point, and I guess it's probably a mixture. This this article isn't isn't totally clear on sample size necessarily, and also, uh, you know, are they talking about a general AI or you know, or just a more narrow AI? Uh, but definitely some aspects here of of uh, you know getting into a general AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm amazed, honestly. First off, you know, AI stuff aside, I'm amazed that people are really thinking that they're not going to be using their smartphone in five years, uh, and that they don't want to. 
I'm, yeah. I'm kind of shocked by that. I mean, how how do you you know what do you what are your thoughts on that? Maybe the, the nature of the smartphone will just take on a different personality, I guess, because people are pretty endeared to their smartphones. That's, right? what, that's exactly that's yeah, what I was like thinking. They take it to bed with them a lot of the time and all that. So maybe it's just envisioning. I mean, they talk about the AI aspect where you're not actually looking at your screen anymore. You're just right. talking to it. And maybe if it's more integrated, as Kurzweil kind of predicts, that uh, somehow it'll sense us thinking what we want it to do and it'll nah. respond to do that. So, yeah, because he talks about like smart cells, like literally where there's nanomachines in the in your very yeah, cells. Yeah. Matter of fact, uh, I found the timeline. It's on their website, KurzweilAI.net. Uh-huh, very good. Futurism. This was the link that I actually sent you a while back. Okay. But, we'll get that in the show notes. I yeah. think that's important to uh, to lay out. Yeah. His predictions are pretty spot on in terms of uh, what he's, he's uh, predicted in the past and the way he's sketched it out in the future. It, hmm. it seems like there's not a distinct technological singularity that's portrayed here. It's it's like this blending, uh, kind of like a, a smooth, seamless transition. Nah, like okay. artificial intelligences claim to be conscious and openly petition for recognition of this fact. That's like uh, around 2029, right? Okay. So at uh, during this year of 2029, a lot of extraordinary things happen, such as a $1,000... Uh, United States dollars, uh, personal computer is now 1,000 times more powerful than the human brain. Wow. That's a, well, so here's a guy, I mean, he works, and this is interesting because Kurzweil works for Google. You know, he works for Alphabet slash Google. exactly. I I assume he's been given quite a bit of free reign to do what he wants to do there. Right. And I think just recently Google proved that they're, they bought the first, they bought one of two of the first quantum computers uh from d-wave mm. the other one's owned by the nsa of course of course of course yeah and uh but google because ju- there was some degree people were saying is this thing really doing quantum computing or is it just emulating that it looks like it's doing quantum computing but uh apparently google somehow proved the fact recently i haven't delved too much into the story that it is the d-wave computer i think it's called the d4 is actually doing full-on quantum computing and it's about a thousand it does about a thousand times you know, exponentially the calculations of your average processor today. Interesting. Uh, so Kurzweil would have the inside track. Yeah, on, he on would. That sort of thing. Maybe it's doing it and not doing it at the same time in the same <laughs> that's, respect. That's right. That's the, <laughs> it's Schrodinger's computer. <laughs> it totally is. Yes. Don't yeah. open that box. Yeah. It'll just vanish. Yeah. It's either dead or alive. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, something like, like what this is talking about, where the prediction is, that's why I'm curious who they asked about this. You know, who, who is there? Because... Something I've talked about on Sovereign Tech for a few years now, there was a talk given by Google, uh, by the head of Google X, which is Astro Teller. Mm. Um, and he had said that... Astro, he, good name. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like the Jetsons. What the hell? Uh, and yeah. he... Um, he actually said that they are trying to get to the point where there is no more user interface whatsoever. And that's pretty much what these people are talking about is they expect AI mm. to get rid of the user interface. It's like a Steve Jobs, one button mouse kind of thing. This is just a, yeah. a no button. Yeah, exactly. In fact, I, there's <laughs> nothing. A, the term is called zero UI. A lot of people are starting to talk about it. So it's something that's being developed mm. and that's certainly using narrow AI to exist, you know, to be viable and practical. Yeah. I argue it's not necessarily that practical. And I actually, I came up instead of zero UI, I call it hands, hands or hands free UI, oh, okay. which uh, you pronounce hooey. Yeah. Because that's what I think it is. It's a, so, bunch, it's a bunch of hooey. But <laughs> are they saying that it is a Louie instead of the gooey? 
right? The, uh, so a language user interface, is that what they're saying? Technically, that, that, that would be what it is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Zero UI would be more like language UI is where, yeah, you'd actually be talking to it. Zero UI, more specifically, I think they're referencing the idea that, uh, you know, the, that there is an artificial intelligence. There's some kind of algorithm or whatever the case may be that is guessing for you. Okay. Uh, what is, you know, what is to come? Yeah, it's interesting because Google has been getting a lot of information from people, especially smartphones. You like, I use Google Chrome in here and they, they know exactly all the things that I search for. Absolutely. All the websites to go to and, and how much of that information do they need to get to the point where it's going to be cueing the person for things. Right. You know, it's predicting what they wanted to do. And it might get a little bit, a little bit disturbing at some point where, you know, it's making predictions that are very, very close to what you are predicting. So it gets into the question of at what point, you know, are facsimiles of you that are created more like you than not like you, you know, or like if something we talked about this off the show, but yeah, if, if you, if you allow it to learn how you respond to texts and how you respond to emails, the things that you write, the way that you write, all these kinds of things are being integrated into this AI that is you essentially. And right. then up pops the question, would you like me to respond to this instead? <laughs> yeah. Would, would you like to offload all of your information, all your texting and communication with these various people? I think there's people that would love that because that's yeah. one of the things in this article we just read was that they want personal assistance. And that's what, I mean, that's what everybody wants their secretary to do is just, well, you know, tell them I'll talk to them later or something like that. Yeah. And so how is that going to affect our authentic connections with people? I yeah. mean, like if you said, yes, I want you to do this just as an experiment and you watch it answer the texts and answer the emails and so forth. And it's writing the exact same things that you would write. It's like uncannily you. Yeah. Um, you know, in a sense that is you because it's basing it on the patterns that it's gotten from hundreds or thousands of replies that you've done and the way that you use turns of phrase, right. The different emoticons, so on and so forth. But you know, is that you? That's a, that's a good question. And I guess it's important for the person who's the recipient of these things, for the AI that mm -hmm. it's responding to, to know that it's not actually you. It's it's this AI that's doing it. Well, that's kind of the Turing test, right? Do you know yeah. that it's actually a third, you know, is it, what's And the we're getting really close to yeah. that. We're getting really close to that. Actually, we, I've seen, you know, conflicting reports on whether it's been passed. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and actually, there's interesting things getting developed. There was a, there was like it was a funny thing on Facebook for a little while where people would allow I forget what the name of the, the software was, but it was a website. You would allow it to access your Facebook account and then it would make posts for you. Uh -huh. And most of the time it ended up being kind of gibberish, like it was just sort of a fun game. Uh, I mean, I could get into the fact that I think that that was all, you know, this company wanting to get access to your Facebook account so that it could learn better. You know, e even if it did a bad job now, well, give it a give it a few computations and it'll figure out how to do a good job. Yeah. Um, and also SwiftKey recently, uh, this is a company that's a little creepy. They make a great keyboard. Uh, for, as far as usability goes, but they they recently released uh, for Android only. It's called Swift Key Neural, 
Yeah, uh, as in, you know, neural, you know, as in I thought it was going to be swift key in the pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but swift key neural is all about that. It's about guessing the next word. It puts the word at the top of the keyboard and it's about guessing, you know, what is the next word you're going to type? Well, uh-huh. now swift keys to the point where it's actually guessing two words ahead of you. So two word phrases. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, myself, and this is kind of what we were talking about off air, you know, I was like, when it gets to the point where SwiftKey is guessing like three words, because yeah. then you're you're getting past, like suddenly you're turning into SVO patterns at that point. You know, this is full on sentences. It's not as simple as like, you know, Google inbox where you can quickly send, oh yeah, that sounds great. You know what I mean? Where it's yeah. just some like- this is the canned phrases that yeah, we typically use. Right. This this is getting into, you know, real sentence structure in a very yeah. serious way, predictively. And uh, yeah, that, right. When does it stop being you? And when do you just, yeah, when do you offload everything, right? That's mm-hmm. this kind of thing. And interestingly, though, but with this article, people seem to want that. They, you know, they, they want to let it go. Yeah, I guess just to give them other things to do. So what happens when, okay, you inform the recipient of your AI system that, hey, this isn't quite me. It's my AI mm-hmm. that is kind of like me. Actually, it says the exact same things I would say, right? right. It just doesn't doesn't see the mean. It doesn't know, you know, the, the meaning behind it, right. you know? So what happens when that recipient turns their AI system on. So they're, your AIs are talking to each other. <laughs> don't and, you remember me telling you to get eggs? No, yeah. I don't remember that at all. <laughs> so why don't we get together sometime? Our AIs would get together all the time, but yeah. it'd be nice if we got, you know, some face-to-face time. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly very plausible. In fact, I don't think people would care uh, in a lot of ways because there's, now I can't think of the name of it, but in China, in Southeast Asia, there's a very popular app that is entirely, a, I mean, it's more a narrow AI, uh-huh. uh, but it, People install it and they actually text this app, you know, but you're not texting somebody else. You're just texting the app and the app kind of like Siri has a whole conversation with you. Yeah. And, and people are falling in love with it, just like her, just wow, like that movie wow. we mentioned earlier. Yeah. There's some websites for that, too. Sure. Right. Yeah. And, and so, I, I mean, there's certainly a part of the population that gets the notice of the news anyway, uh, that that really doesn't care if they're not really talking to you, it seems. They just want some kind of connection. I mean, that's how connection-starved we are. Yeah, And certainly brings up the importance of, you know, you're mentioning NBC earlier and understanding Connected communication. Yeah. For sure. If we, if we grow up in a, in a parental system and a culture that is, you know, disconnected communication right. for the most part, then it's, it's, it's as if we're going to have these yearnings for technology to fill those those holes that weren't filled. Like all all the unmet needs from childhood. How do we finally get those needs met? Yeah. Are we going to do it through technology or actually reconnecting with ourselves and fellow humans to actually get that nourishment? Right. You know? Yeah. And I suppose that raises the question. I mean, would the strong, you know, would the general AI, uh, you know, would it recognize, hey, hey, I don't need to be doing all this for you? Uh, you, you know? Yeah. So it would have this empathetic component that would recognize the motives the subconscious motives that are going mm-hmm. on. And right. that's the really fascinating thing, like to have a general intelligence AI system that's able to see those kinds of patterns right? and know your biorhythms and stuff. Because like, to go into these predictions from Kurzweil again in 2029, which isn't that far away, you know, he says VR eyeglasses and headphones are now replaced with computer implants. So now we're going inside the brain. Nah. You know, we're not going to have this external stuff. So once this gets integrated into the self, then it gives, you know, uh, sort of an argument for this augmented intelligence that could happen. Right. And an advanced brain mapping leads to hundreds of distinct uh, subregions in the brain being identified. And actually, they're doing that now. They have a picture uh, that I've seen before from 
like one of the brain projects they've got going on. But then in the 2030s, now we're into the realm of mind uploading becomes successful and perfected and humans become software based. And nanomachines are directly inserted into the brain to control incoming and outgoing signals. (laughs) Brain nanobots are now capable of eliciting emotional responses from users. So now we're going into this inner space of like a simulated VR environment with these nanobots. And what happens to our physical bodies at this point? This is kind of the matrix, isn't it? It is. Yeah, no, it really is. I mean, and I'm, I'm definitely rather bullish on VR. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm excited about the technology. Um, but when you get to that level of interconnectedness, right. Well, I mean, will people just go into atrophy with their physical bodies? Yeah. Uh, And let the government run their entire lives. Well, that, and right. And that raises it again, that this is the, the biggest issue perhaps with the development of, of general AI is that there's a government. Yes. You know, and there's an organization that uses power over strategies, right. coercion as a way of life. Right. This tragic strategy of trying to get needs met, needs yeah. for support, security, safety, you know, and it's just a race to the bottom. It's not going to help us survive and thrive as a species. Quite yeah. the contrary. Yeah. I mean, you have, uh, you know, I remember breaking the story years ago. Uh, a lot of people always talked about kind of the internet kill switch, you know, and there was never any proof for it. And then finally one day, you know, Slate reported, yes, there's absolute proof. It's called standard operations 303 and it is a literal internet kill switch. Well, I'm not going to go up uploading my brain if there's some kind of organization out there that has a kill switch, you know, <laughs> I'm, not, yeah, exactly. I'm certainly not game for a lot of this other stuff too. If, if there's this kill switch that, that can get enacted based upon popular vote. You know, or worse, you know, just some kind of tyrannical system or dictatorial system. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that that's a real problem. You know, I what's something that's really interesting is th- there's other hot trends that this article we were reading from uh, talked about. Yes. Uh, and, I, and actually, I, I kind of want to touch on those just just for the kind of just for the giggles. Of for it. sure. Uh, and let's see, there, there's the 10 hot trends for 2016 and beyond cited in the report. Uh, number one, the lifestyle network effect. Four out of five people now experience an effect where the benefits gained from online services increases as more people use them globally. One in three consumers already participates in various forms of the sharing economy. Mm hmm. Yeah. Now that, that boy, that could get into a whole slew of things uh, because the sharing economy goes right down to, you know, speaking of AI, but I guess this is more narrow AI, uh, you know, that gets into where people don't own cars and they just use a zip car or True. something like that. There'll be an app for that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Uber, I've, I've long felt that Uber eventually is just going to eliminate the driver like that. That's, yeah, I know it's like this economic boon and everybody's getting a nice job with Uber and all this stuff, but I think that's really going to go away very soon. Interesting. Uh, you know, and that's, that's why, cause Uber seems to play really nice, nice with Google and Google of course has Google maps, uh, you know, and all of these things. And so I, I kind of feel like that that's, that's where that, that might be going in that direction. So, and Musk actually might get involved in this as well. Yeah. I remember an episode of This Week in Startups mm-hmm. with Jason Calacanis. Great he, show. He played a clip where this interviewer asked Musk about, you know, why not just use this technology for autonomous cars in, in this realm that Uber is competing in, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, there, was, there was an interesting pause in his response. He said, that's a very insightful question. Something like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of converging on that. Yeah, course. I mean, and definitely I think I think kind of where, where this gets important with AI is that 
I wonder, will people accept if their point is, is that people will accept that the AI actually owns things mm-hmm. and you don't, uh, like the AI is in complete control. Of, we've offloaded that. Right. Yeah. We've, we've offloaded property to the AI. It's in the blockchain after all. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> sorry. I had to do it. That's all right. I know you've, you've listened to my show and you've certainly heard my rants on that. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, let's go to number two here. Streaming natives, teenagers watch more YouTube video content daily than other age groups. 46% of 16 to 19 year olds spend an hour or more on YouTube every day. Uh, I don't know that that has anything to do with AI necessarily, but, uh, certainly people do not, are not connected to the old boob tube. (laughs) Yeah. And I've heard, I heard an interview today, uh, where a guy, it was from a, a few weeks ago, I think, but he said that, uh, it was Ferris interviewing this guy. Uh, he does video. I think he's on YouTube. He's, I'd never heard of the guy. But anyway, he said that like 400 hours are uploaded to YouTube every minute now. That's, yeah, that's mind boggling. So it's somewhere in that ballpark. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a whole, oof, that's a whole other. I mean, like one of the things I think I've said this on Sovereign Tech before, the, the purpose that the reason why Google's into like driverless cars is because they want to turn the windshield into a giant YouTube screen <laughs> there you, you know, go. for advertisements and all that. So certainly there's some importance. There. The interesting uh, tidbit about that statistic is that 399 of those 400 hours are actually cat videos. <laughs> 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 they they cats they, playing the piano that's the you know is, is the ai gonna love the cats is is the ai gonna you know is it gonna worship them the way i would do? like to see that breakdown though like if, you, if youtube came out and said okay <laughs> like 69 percent of our videos are actually cats <laughs> <laughs> that'd be hilarious you know like what do they got stored on those all that yeah. stuff it's amazing the, the amount of information they've got stored yeah those metrics will be coming soon i'm sure uh let's see ai ends the screen age artificial intelligence will enable interaction with objects without the need for a smartphone screen one in two mm-hmm. smartphone users link smartphones or think smartphones will be a thing of the past within the next five years Years, that's what that article is within the next about. 50% think in the next five years it's going to become a thing of the past no more retina screens yeah I'm wow. still you know that that's kind of a point with this thing overall I'm still with this article in particular I'm kind of baffled at that because nobody I mean like the smartwatch thing isn't taking off you know like the the, the, n- the numbers aren't if anything, there it's going the other way isn't right it? it's like, going south and so yeah. I, I'm not sure I I, my understanding was that the average person said, oh, no, the smartphone's perfect. This is like, this is the pinnacle. This is the uh, the monolith from 2001 in my hand. Mm. Uh, so <laughs> if anything, it's just a, it's a way to access your smartphone notifications and maybe That's some all, of your right. sports related activities and stuff. Right. But I don't think it's anything, you know, revolutionary or transformative. For- yeah. For tech. Yeah. So big question on who exactly is thinking that. I mean, maybe they're just being fanciful and they're not actually being practical in their in their line of thinking. Maybe but. these 5000 uh, surveyor responses uh, respondents are actually Kurzweil students. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe. They seem more optimistic than even Kurzweil is. Yeah. So uh, virtual gets real. This is by 2016. I think that's I think 2016 is the year that virtual reality becomes a big deal. I I, Mm. I definitely agree with that. That sentiment. Um, Sensing homes. Now, I actually I want to go off from this one. I want to jump off this list from this here. Uh, Sensing homes. Fifty five percent of smartphone owners believe uh, bricks used to used to build homes could include sensors that monitor mold, leakage and electricity issues within the next five years. As a result, the concept of smart homes may need to be rethought uh, from the ground up. Now, Hmm. where I think that's interesting and I could see that happening. Part of the reason I could see that happening is you you had another article here, Wes, um, 
which is MIT invention could boost resolution of 3D depth cameras a thousandfold. Yeah, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? It is. And they, there's there's, you know, uh, uh, examples shown here, obviously, that we can't transmit uh, yet via, you know, podcast, <laughs> at least an audio podcast. Yeah. Uh, where they do show off that. Yeah. I mean, like the, the example that they're showing is a, a regular styrofoam cup. Mm-hmm. And they show how the Microsoft Connect season. It's a bunch of like, di- you know, digitized blocks. Pretty you know, pixelated. You, yeah. Right. You can barely tell what it looks like. And then there's a laser scanner and that looks a little more like it, but you really don't recognize it as that, that, uh, that, that star. It looks cup. like a clay mold of sorts. Exactly. Yeah. yeah very rough. Uh, but then you get into the uh, polarization enhanced depth camera. And that's the one that allows for this, you know, incredible thousand fold uh, improvement in 3d, uh, you know, depth perception. Yeah, they're exploding light polarization. Like, polarized glasses i guess exactly and then you know instantaneously what that is it's a styrofoam cup yeah Uh, and and it's and when that kind of technology happens and i think this is something that that people are missing with with ai is that it does need to be able to perceive the world yeah you know i don't it's pretty i think it's kind of meaningless if it's all dealing with everything uh digitally you know completely within its own servers or whatever the case may be if they want it to mimic the the phenomenology of human consciousness you know their experience of thinking and concepts meaning and all that yeah it needs to be connected to reality and 3d reality yes like toddlers learn through 3d manipulation that's what the article goes into Mm -hmm. you know and how ai can replicate that and with three-dimensional really acute vision man that's going to really enable a lot of learning yeah, absolutely. It might be what takes it to the to the next level, you it, know, if it, it doesn't might be, yeah, if it's not already there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when it gets developed, uh, you know, it might bring it to that point. I mean, and, and some people have had some interesting, you know, thoughts on that, uh, like the idea that once robots, uh, you know, or AI starts, uh, you know, folding your clothes and you have all these servants and all this stuff. I mean, this gets more into, I guess, kind of the notion of, you know, just offloading everything that humans do. Yeah, I really want to read over. that book, uh, Mana. By that guy that uh is that that's not wesley about. chu i'm trying to think of who no but he was interviewed on singularity one-on-one oh, podcast. oh no, that was uh oh god i i know who but it is the, the premise is like, i just bought the book the other day everybody oh did you cool yeah i want to hear the report about it because he basically said like australia was bought in this crowdfunding project right and people moved there and they had basically robots take care of all the menial tasks and people just lived lifestyles of leisure and recreation yeah you know and that is the future that could be you know in our lives if we uh if we get rid of the domination systems for the most part because as long as those are still in place we've got a lot bigger fish to fry yeah yeah absolutely uh and you know that's interesting i mean and and since we're playing in the realm of the theoretical that's you know if the matrix everybody remembers the matrix you know the movie and they get into that where kind of how the robots took over the humans is that this very thing was happening is that you had ai kind of coming along and they were serving the humans they were doing everything for the humans and then one day this human just like you know treated an ai you know treated an android effectively too wrong you know too, uh-huh. too you know it was just it was too brutal too traumatic and the ai killed the human and then it turned into this giant court case sounds like uh, the plot for ex machina huh? yes yeah, yeah yeah that's an interesting film uh, to check out but uh you know that 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 gets into that where boy you know we've got a 
I don't think the AI, you know, if this AI comes or when this AI comes, I mean, we're kind of laying out, you know, just how close this is getting here. All this technology to make it happen is 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 coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's if 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 we don't have our heads screwed on straight, if we don't have this understanding of, you know, like you said, that that boy, you know, th- these domination structures, this is all crazy. It's like, well, you know, why are we existing like this? Yeah, uh, it's going to push back. Yeah, or something's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, something will happen. It will not uh, settle for the status quo like right. humans have been used to, essentially. Yeah, it, it's it it's concerning, and and that's yeah, that gets back into like I said. I mean, just government existing alone. I mean, I would you know if I was, uh, I mean, I consider it a threat as a human. If I was a super intelligence, it's I would of course oh, I'd see absolutely. it as a threat. The fact that humans have thousands of nuclear warheads around the globe able to rip the surface of the earth off yeah because why fear of the other fear of you know some rogue nation or rogue terrorist group right right i mean governments are the biggest terrorist groups on the planet obviously maybe not obviously to most people that have been indoctrinated in government schools including ourselves so it takes a while to transition to a mindset that sees clearly the contradictions and all of the coercion that's in our society. Right. That's not being pointed out by the pundits, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's amazing how people avoid talking about the coercion and the punishment, you know, in principle, and say this is not tolerable for yeah. a rational, empathetic species. What are we doing, folks? How can we try to heal this trauma so we don't have to repeat cycles of the past, you know? And it yeah. seems like uh, uh, among all the confusing things that humans are engaging in and indulging in, this AI topic itself, it's like there's this really kind of schizophrenic sort of view on AI. Is it a thinking thing or an unthinking thing? Mm-hmm. If it's unthinking, yeah, I can see how it will do these daily tasks and so forth unthinkingly. Right. But if it's a thinking thing, are you saying that you want slaves? Yeah, right. You know? Exactly. If it's autonomous, as as super intelligent AI will be autonomous, and you'll have no choice about it once it gets, you know, Androidized. Yeah. <laughs> if it, if it can move around, walk and talk, and do stuff, then right. yeah, I mean, it's going to want to be its own thing, just like humans do, just like every little toddler does as it's learning things. Yeah. And when you consider how different we think of, uh, you know, like we brought up the borders earlier, you know, just because somebody was born over here, I mean, how, and, and because of that, because someone was born here and they were, you know, weren't indoctrinated in our culture, which lucky them, (laughs) Uh, you know, people don't want them to cross these imaginary lines. They don't want them to cross these borders. They're terrified of them. How terrified would these people be of, you know, this autonomous, uh, you know, AI walking around? I mean, I I think we're going to have to build bigger walls. (laughs) I think it's going to take monstrous, you know, walls with roofs on them and uh, titanium compartments to to keep this thing under wraps, apparently. Yeah. I mean, you know, you shared a bunch of other stories uh, that, that, again, I'll put them all in the show notes. Uh, There's this uh, design of a carbon nanotube chip. Uh, It looks like a skyscraper that, I mean, they're saying that this, you know, electronic performance goes up by a factor of a thousand. I mean, all these pieces are together that says absolutely, yes, we can process something at, at the very least human level intelligence, or at least I would argue at a sapient level of intelligence, whatever that may, you know, take 
shape is. Yeah, and there are lots of AI research and development groups out there mm-hmm. in, in many different countries. So right. the thought that they're all going to be doing the same thing in lockstep with the OpenAI project, I mean, it's not really reasonable no. or realistic to think that. Yeah. But it's going to be created by some team or another, you know, whether yeah. it's a big team like at Google, what Kurzweil's doing or something else, you know, we're, we're going to be, we get a front row seat to all this. Yeah. We get a front row seat to see what Bitcoin does, <laughs> yeah. what AI does. I mean, this century I see as sort of the make or break century for humanity. Yeah. You know, and that, that's a question I want to get into in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but something, if you're open to going in this direction, something you've recently talked about uh, that I think that I think, you know, cause we're talking about kind of one of the major issues here is that, you know, humans just don't have it together upstairs, you know, like it's, a lot of healing needs to yeah, happen. A lot of healing, sure. you know, there's just so much trauma and uh, you know, how, how do we, how do we get past that or not past it, but how do we integrate it to where we can heal it? Uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, how do we, how do we recognize it? How do we deal with it? How do we make it welcoming and appealing for people to heal? Right. That's a big one. Yeah. I mean, and certainly, Educating people about the fact that first off, hey, we all have trauma. Okay, let let's get past that point. You know, when someone says to you, it's like, well, I got beat as a kid and I'm fine. It's like, well, you want to get a second opinion on that, Jack? You know, you didn't (laughs) have to get beaten. You You didn't have to get hit. You didn't have to, you know, have your need for respect sacrificed. Right. So, you know, certainly we can educate people on the fact that, you know, this is something this is part of the reason why so many of these. Uh, you know, that, that, well, I'll say listeners of this show or people that were very much attracted to complete liberty and all of that, you know, really mm-hmm. recognize that, no, this, this something's, something's off here. Yeah. Um, I think there are solutions. Education's a big part of it. But something recently you were telling me about, and I'd love for you to touch on it just in case people are interested, uh, you, you know, Ibogaine. This is interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, it, we're, we're kind of going left field here as far as getting away from the AI. But yeah. in a way, I think it's part of, you know, prepping this whole thing. Yeah. It's the experience <laughs> of our consciousness. Right. On psychedelics. Right. Yeah. And Ibogaine. Now, this is a completely, as I understand it, and I'm no expert, um, but I think it'd be interesting to, you know, to kind of kind of touch on it. Uh, this is it, it's a totally natural uh, psycho psychoactive uh, mm-hmm. and it's a plant from West Africa, West Africa, like the Congo. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so this is not some kind of, you know, construct, uh, like some say, you know, LSD is and things of this nature. No, it's as natural as the marijuana plant, right? Right. Exactly. Uh, so I, I give it points just on that, just on the fact that this isn't something, you know, put together necessarily in a, in a lab and has very questionable, uh, yeah. uh, origins or effects or whatever. Yeah. Although there are poisonous plants and berries out there That's that will sure. kill you if you consume them. <laughs> That's so right. mother nature can be a bitch sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but Recently, or not, not maybe not recently, but you've at least in, enlightened me about it recently. Um, mm-hmm. I have not tried it. I'm not saying I'm going to, but it's an interesting concept of this idea that that this is, people are going to therapeutic environments and they are taking ibogaine. They're going on kind of retreats of sorts. Is, mm-hmm. is that accurate? Yeah. The 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 treatment lasts from anywhere from five days to ten days. Okay. In the facility, yeah, in the yeah. clinic. And they take this and say they are addicted to something. Maybe they're addicted to some kind of, you know, more nefarious drug or, you know, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, they drop it. They they walk away, you know, really with a very different mindset. 
uh, on life in general, it sounds like. And they really, they get an, exp- they, I, the way you've described it, I love it. You know, it's just like you're on a roller coaster or something and, and you just, you're getting, you know, hold on tight because you're about to go through a ride, the ride of your life. Yeah, you, you can't everything. get off this ride yeah. because the trip, <laughs> I, I've never done this. I've just researched it because I, I you know, I, I counsel clients and uh, always been interested in psychotherapeutic techniques right. and trying to find ways to heal trauma. And especially with people with addictions, it can be really, really tough to sure. let go of those present strategies and to move into a realm where they're not being used anymore, right? right? Because especially the physical withdrawal effects, you know? Right. So what ibogaine does, it works, you know, on a, on a biochemical level in your, your neurons to essentially reset the system before the addictions started. So when you, when you leave, the trip can last upwards of 36 hours, actually, mm-hmm. but typically around 20 hours, apparently. Okay. And there's various stages of the psychedelic journey. I could give you some links to websites where they talk about those things. Sure. Uh, It's a very introspective journey. You might have heard of ayahuasca, you know, people doing this ritualistic thing down in South America. Yeah, I was going to ask how they compare. With shamans and witch doctors and stuff. And usually (laughs) it's like in a hut with a bunch of other people Uh, who are puking and shitting their guts out, you know, so... It's um it's a different experience because it's in a it's in a therapeutic setting. It's a pro recovery environment with yes. actual therapists. I mean, in the ideal places that it's being offered, it's of course a Schedule One narcotic in America. You know, like all the other psychedelics. Right. You know, I guess salvia is the only one that uh, is not illegal. Okay. And you can watch some clips on YouTube of people like you know jumping out of windows inadvertently when they're on this stuff it doesn't last it lasts like maybe 10 minutes right but it's enough <laughs> it's a very disconnected experience yeah that does but what iboga does or ibogaine is it connects you to your true self and gives you a front row seat to all of the tragic strategies that you've been employing since the traumas of childhood mm-hmm. so and it, it it keeps you in a compassionate seat as well but you will go on this journey like no other, to look at what's happened in your life leading up to the point where you came to this place to do this drug. Yeah, you're going to see your traumas, you're going to see your pains, you're going to see all that. Yeah, you will see it in, in, in you know, almost like rapid form. I've heard people talk about how it's like uh, cards in a deck just flashing all these different memories and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, Aubrey Marcus, who's friends with Joe Rogan and Duncan Trussell, talks about it. he's a psychonaut. You know, yeah, he's uh, the owner of Onnit, really yeah. uh, bright guy. Yeah, yeah, he's very, um, you know, immersed in this realm of of trying to find, you know, the nature of self with the altering consciousness in these psychedelics. Yeah, he's all about human optimization, which yeah. I can appreciate. He that. is uh, not so, um, I guess, astute on the philosophical side of things. Right. I haven't heard him striking at the root about coercion and so yeah. forth. So I think, you know, it doesn't, you know going on a trip like this is not going to, you know, create philosophical enlightenment. It, it's, it's, it'd be great if you had that before you went in, but at least it's going to connect you to the true self that you had when you were a child, this vision of life that was beautiful and wonderful mm-hmm. and, and a place of limitless possibilities. Right. Like little kids are just, you know, naturally bursting with joy about what life is and what their lives yeah, are. All that intrinsic stuff. Yeah, yeah all that, we that intrinsic about. motivation that was basically stamped out of us right. since childhood that perhaps led some people to doing various drugs, whether they're legal or illegal, alcohol or the the illicit substances. Um, 
that that has really compromised their capacity for happiness. Yeah. And their ability to heal and grow. So when you come off this this psychedelic journey from Ibogaine, you don't have any withdrawal symptoms. This is pretty amazing. Uh, people see it as a miracle drug, and it seems to be the one psychedelic that has this amazing property. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, without sort of any any um, any issues, like there's no physical ailments, right? Uh, no queasiness or anything. Well, or... there is. You can go through nausea. Not okay. like I don't think it's like ayahuasca. Most right. people puke their guts out when yeah, they do that. that. I hear that gets brutal. Yeah. Yeah, but they also see it as part of this sort of cleansing, cleansing, purging, yep. all that stuff. It happens with some people that do this trip on this, but but not all by any means. But you don't have any withdrawal symptoms. So like hardcore opiate users, like heroin, the guy was shooting up like four times a day. Yeah. And he, you know, kept it on the down low. He didn't tell them because they want you to be off of all drugs like 72 hours prior to taking Ibogaine. Okay. When you take the flood dose because they don't want anything counteracting with it. But um, it, you know, he came out of it and he didn't have any... Uh, cravings for it anymore it's, and, and it's he was remarkable. taking it four times a day because he had suicidal thoughts like he was scared to stop it because he thought he was going to kill himself yeah that's how far down that dark path he had gone on heroin and uh you know even even people that are doing psychotropics you know there there are some i've had clients that have been on like three different psychotropics it's amazing that psychiatrists and psychologists give people these brain drugs right you know to try to heal something that really needs empathetic connection yeah instead of just a pill i mean that's an indictment on our culture as well the Absolutely. Fact that doctors of the mind give people you know psychotropics drugs to alter their brain chemistry in an unnatural way right yeah we're not born with prozac deficiency yeah <laughs> or Zoloft deficiency. That's a great quote. <laughs> yeah. None of this stuff is necessary when you can get connected with your needs that have been sacrificed from yeah. a very early time. So coming to really truthful, honest terms with the nature of this culture, the nature of your life, and, and the strategies that have been used to try to cope with things. No, you know, I think it's a great point. And, and I know you're not, I mean, you're a guy, I know that when you start, when, when something piques your interest, mm. I mean, like you go you know, deep dive into the research. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't just take anecdotes, you no. know, for anything. You you go really deep. And that's that's part of the reason that because like ayahuasca is always kind of like, eh, I don't know if I if I buy yeah, this. Yeah, there's lots of conflicting reports. Yeah, yeah. So this one, this one, you know, interested me. But I wanna, you know, I I am gonna share an anecdote just to kind of like bolster what you're saying about the fact that that I mean like the just the drugs that people get tossed at them for for things that really just have to do with stuff that's inside, you know, mental stuff that yeah. needs to get worked out. Uh like my grandmother, I remember she went from a woman who was 72 years old shoveling snow in upstate New York, and that's as serious a snow as you can get. And suddenly just a bunch of people started dying in her life, her mother, her husband. I mean, all, all kinds of people, you know, started dying yeah. in her life. And suddenly she has a, a million ailments. And by the time she's, you know, she's pushing 80, she's taking 20, 21 or 25, however many it was, different pills a day. Oh, my God. And it's and I, I kept telling them, you know, I kept telling my my, you know, my family, I said, it's depression. Like she's just depressed. It's like, yeah, it's stuff going on. She needs to grieve. She needs someone who can connect with her need for mourning. Right? Yeah. It had nothing to, these pills aren't going to do shit, you know? And, and like, this is all stuff that needs to do to worse than up. that. They're going right. to actually affect her physically. Yeah. Right? It's going to all these side effects. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, there are, there are ways, you know, where people can 
you know, can deal with these traumas. I mean, death is, you know, seeing people die. I mean, we were talking about terror management theory, all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's serious. And these are things that, that people can work through all of these problems, not just, not just like that, but you know, all this stuff there, there are, there are seeming to be solutions, very natural solutions. Yeah. Uh, like Ibo, uh, you know, Ibogaine. And, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to take the time to, you know, to, to talk about it, to, to, to get that out there because maybe people hadn't heard of it. Yeah. There is a movement out there. I mean, I've heard, I've heard Tim Ferriss interview people about it. Uh, Chris Ryan, uh, has interviewed as, as well on tangentially speaking, uh-huh. Duncan Trussell, I think has done. Yeah. He interviewed, uh, Aubrey. Yeah. And, and, um, so it's getting more widespread knowledge about it. Uh, Ibogaine in particular, I think is the one thing that can help people, overcome addictions readily like with no withdrawal symptoms no cravings afterwards and it just resets you to the point where you can actually remake your life now yeah you don't have to fall into this pit of despair and just reliving cycles of of trauma yeah and in, in, in all these tragic ways yeah i mean maybe <laughs> maybe the ai will say all right look this is the door where the, this is the Ibogaine room. Yeah. You, you guys go over here. The other guys, you go through this door. Okay. Perhaps. And <laughs> I would be interested in actually doing it. Just it, it, the really interesting thing from a psychological point of view, mm-hmm. aside from the neurochemical stuff and what it does for addictions is it, it vaporizes any and all defenses that you have right. in the psyche. And we know that defense mechanisms really impede healing and growth. Absolutely. You know, there, there are Kicking ways to screaming. try to protect our self-esteem. Yep. Brandon called it pseudo self-esteem in various ways. Yeah. But they are ineffective for really helping us flourish. So once it vaporizes the defenses, which I've seen in clients as well, like when, when you engage in psychotherapy, there can be subconscious parts that want to defend certain strategies, certain ways of thinking, certain ways of viewing oneself and so forth mm-hmm. that, you know, at the time they were formulated were, were coping strategies, but now as a mature adult, they're, they're not really effective. They're not really useful and, and they're actually counterproductive to our healing and growth. So on the psychedelic journey, your, your defenses are vaporized. So you're just in a true self orientation and able to, to really compassionately connect with the, the process by which you surrendered your own happiness in this process. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's, yeah, anything to help facilitate that. You, yeah. You know, I, I, I am definitely interested in, and I think it's something that, that hopefully there's going to be a lot more research on. Unfortunately, it's illegal in, I think, most parts of the world, if I, if I understand correctly. Uh, it, there are clinics in Mexico, and there's yeah. there's clinics in Canada. I guess it's yeah, available right. there, I've, too. Yeah, I've heard about Canada. Yeah. LibertyRoot.org, I think, is the name of the website. There we go. I can okay. give you a link to an article that was uh, an interview with this neuroscientist down at University of Miami that was talking about it. And right on. She initially was a skeptical about it, and then on three different occasions, people brought the information to her, and she's like, I better look into this. Yeah. And she ended up starting a, a ibocaine clinic in the Caribbean somewhere, I guess, because okay. it's not available, you know, legally here. Right. So, I mean, this can, this can really help people that are in need of it, obviously. Yeah. Um, and it can be tough. Like, again, it's, it's tough to, to introspect sometimes and to take time in, as Daniel Siegel says. Oh, yeah. To take time in and to pause and to reflect on what, what we're feeling, what we're needing, what's alive in us. And why is it there? And how can we address it in a compassionate way? You know, so, so the processes of self-acceptance, self-empathy, and self-compassion are really key for us healing and growing. Yeah. I mean, if people engaged in that, 
coupled with the philosophical clarity about the whole nature of the matrix and stuff, right. we would live in a totally transformed world, you know? Absolutely. I mean, it, it'd be, <laughs> yeah. I dare say it might be paradise. <laughs> yeah. And you know, technology as cool as it is, and I've always been interested in, in futurism stuff. When yeah. I went to college, they, I always would gravitate to those, you know, popular science magazines and latest innovations and stuff, but that's not going to get us there. Really? No, I agree. I agree. Like we need to get there within ourselves. Yeah. There's the potential. And I mentioned this to my friend, Kevin on freedom love and podcast. When we talked about my latest book is my hope is for this super intelligent AI to help us heal. You know, that's right. because the lion's share of humanity, when they hear the things we're talking about here, they will maybe have some interest peaked, but they won't really investigate it. Mm-hmm. You know, most people are not so intrinsically motivated because they, right. they grew up in a non-intrinsically motivated, an extrinsically motivated climate. Right. So how do we help, you know, the bulk of humanity with this process? Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's really about knowledge transfer, like getting the word out and, and opening people's minds to these things. Uh, but ultimately, you know, the AI stuff might be the thing that remedies this this kludgy brain that we have. You yeah. Know? <laughs> well, that, that leads into, that leads into really the last question I have. We've got about, uh, about eight, eight minutes or so left here. And that is, you know, in a hundred years, I mean, whether, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty, it seems to be a foregone conclusion that strong AI is going to be a reality. General AI is going to be a thing, yeah. uh, you know, be a 2029, like Kurzweil saying or whatever. If we don't self-destruct it right before that. Yeah. Good point. Um, you know, where do you see humanity a hundred years from now? Like, like, you know, you can share your greatest hope or your fear, you know, take your pick. Well, let me flip through uh, the bottom of Kurzweil's predictions. We'll yeah. <laughs> reflect on that. 2099. Okay. Right? There, yeah, let's, that's a good year. Let's do it. Computer viruses are a major threat since most intelligent beings are software based. Wow. I didn't think he'd <laughs> give that prediction. Some humans, at least as old as the baby boomers, are still alive and well. Wow. That's a message of hope for some, I'm sure. Yep. Uh, Natural human thinking now possesses no advantage over computer minds. Nah. Machines have attained equal legal status with humans, and artificial intelligence create, intelligences create super powerful plant planet-sized computers throughout the universe. Okay. Oh, boy. And then finally, organic human beings are a small minority of the intelligent life forms on Earth. So, yeah, people that chose not to augment themselves and create a superintelligence within themselves. Um, you know, all bets are off past the, the point where, where computers really uh, are able to get this general intelligence yeah. that we possess. Uh, but I think that the core of it is going to be our connection to the need for uh, to authenticity, you know, to be authentically connected within ourselves to our own emotions and the thoughts that we have about self and others and reality. So regardless of what technology does or doesn't do and where it takes us, I think that that need for authenticity is always going to be present. And it gets back to the AIs, you right. know, in our phones talking to each other. Yeah. While we're not really connecting, you know, like, and, and, you know, things like Facebook and stuff can get us into that realm as well, where we're not really living the real life. It's this virtual world that's been created. It's kind of like a extended high school scenario. Yeah. And it's a virtual world that doesn't reflect reality in any way. 
Like yeah, that's the problem. I get why you know people are trying to portray themselves in the best light. Sure, obviously put the best pictures. They get the oh you're so beautiful thing. Right, you know you get the validation, you get the the acceptance, and all those kinds of really important emotional needs that they that, might not have gotten for years. Yeah, exactly. But and you can also connect with a lot of people that you wouldn't have otherwise connected with. That's yep. a wonderful thing. Absolutely. But as that comedian says, you know, Facebook is this like this way to make privacy uncool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? You want me to upload pictures of my friends? Okay. Yeah. I'll tag them for you. Yeah. Here, let me tag them for you. <laughs> yeah. Never would have done that 20 years ago. Maybe, yeah. maybe you can put that video clip in the show notes. Yeah. It's, that's it's a doozy. pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. So, so in a hundred years, I mean, are, are you seeing, uh, do you have a positive outlook? Well, for one thing, I hope we're still alive and yeah. we can record the second part to the show. Well, I've been to 2099 and I can tell <laughs> you. <Yeah. laughs> You've been there and back. Yeah. It was pretty nice. sweet in some places. It's but pretty anyway. sweet. <laughs> yeah. You know, my friend Jim Davies uh, has written a book. I think it's called The Vision of Liberty. And he, his website is takelifeback.com. Okay. And the anarchist alternative. He's got various websites. But he had this project, and he still does. It's called TOLFA.us. It stands for the Online Freedom Academy. Love the sound of that. Yeah, and he's done a lot of work um, creating this 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 uh, tutorial, essentially, to learn about the freedom ideas, mm -hmm. about rationality and liberty and all these things that are really important for us pro progressing, progressing into a, a realm where it's win-win strategies all the way. You right. know, we're not involved in any more widespread coercion. Um, I think he's in his seventies now. He lives down in Sunapee, just, you know, maybe a half an hour drive from where sure. we are right now. And unfortunately he's not going to see this, this future, you know, unless there's some miraculous invention that comes out in the next 10 years, yeah, some life extension technology. And, and it right? makes me really sad because I, I see how much effort, how much work he's put into his books and his projects. But one, one book portrays, I think it's like 2022 is when he was predicting if enough people went through the Online Freedom Academy and they told one person that they were mentoring one person every year, it would have this multiplier effect. And by 2022, I think it was, or 2020-something, mm -hmm. uh, we would have the evaporation of government day, you know, <laughs> <laughs> where the last bureaucrat closes the yeah. last door, you know, and then we could live freely. And the way he portrays it is, is really beautiful. And all the possibilities for growth and, and, and love and leisure and recreation and just fun, you know? Yeah. We have a need for fun and play. And uh, I think that, that freedom is going to grant us the capacity to really honor those needs much more than this, uh, this slip into totalitarianism that we tend to see in our culture with, with a lot of people feeling really fearful and then reaching for the guns of government to solve these problems that are very human and can be solved by us if we really dedicate the time and effort to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, myself, I, I don't have the, the, I mean, I have a positive outlook on the future. I don't have a positive outlook necessarily for everybody. Okay. Um, you know, but regardless of any fears that I have, I certainly stick to my principles and I have no interest in using coercion on anybody to, uh, you know, do something about the my end own does fears. not justify the course of means, does it? Absolutely. Right. I mean, and, and as to where that seems to be, sadly, uh, the order of the day in a lot of people that, that, uh, that run in our circles, I guess I'll yeah, say to that, I say, where did they learn that? Yeah, exactly. In their family systems, exactly. in their schooling systems, you know, it's yeah. always been authoritarian top down. Yeah. And we can transcend this stuff. We can move beyond it. Yeah. 
No, it's true. But I, I mean, but overall, I absolutely have a very positive outlook on the future, as long as we make it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? I always said, you know, <laughs> before I really investigated the nature of trauma and stuff, I, I thought, you know, the first hundred years are always the toughest. That's right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Once we get past the first hundred years, it's smooth sailing, baby. Well, let's get to that smooth sailing. But uh, anyway, yeah. Wes, it, it's been an absolute honor to have absolutely. you on the show. Thank uh, you very I've much. I've wanted that for some time. And of course, you're always welcome on anything. You've got something you want to talk about. You're, you're always In welcome the on the room that's right <laughs> so uh where can people find you best completeliberty.com and happinesscounseling.com fantastic you betcha yeah and i cannot recommend wes's work enough anyway uh that's it for this week's episode of sovereign tech uh, of course if you appreciate what gets done here please don't hesitate to donate go to sovereigntech.com tons of, uh, of sh- you got to look at the show notes for episode 155 here great stuff Carpe Lucem, everybody. Carpe Diem, too. I'll see you on the other side. (laughs) Right on. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love. And love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.